Welcome to Don't Trust the Mirror, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder, with psychoanalyst Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Maureen shares her personal journey of her struggles with an eating disorder and how that changed her life. Listen as Maureen shares her pain, her stories, and her triumphs. Today, as a psychoanalyst, her mission is to help as many women as possible overcome their challenges. Now, my secret life with an eating disorder. Hi, this is Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Welcome to my podcast, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder. I'm very excited about my guest today, Victoria Evans. Victoria Evans began her career in the corporate world with a prominent Fortune 500 company in the beauty industry in Montreal. During this time, her challenges related to eating disorders, mental health, extreme dieting, and overexercising, and became a catalyst for creating a solution to an issue millions of women deal with today. As a successful intuitive eating coach, she is disrupting the wellness industry through her fundamentally science-based approach. Victoria helps countless women heal their relationship with food by optimizing their mindset for happier and healthier lifestyles. She is Canadian and is presently in Canada and is providing solutions to women through her online coaching programs. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am really excited about talking to you. And I have so many questions for you. And looking at all your information and look, you know, listening to your podcast, I don't think we'll have enough time to get to them all. <laughs> but, um, but I did have something I wanted to start with, which really caught my attention. And it was your, um, your conversation and your idea about radical self-love, which I, I loved. <laughs> And I could relate to so many things that you were talking about. And one of the things that stood out to me was your idea about the mirror and you talking about the mirror as a judge and a jury and just how critical, um, the, how critical we can be about ourselves. And I related to it because of my website, Don't Trust the Mirror, because I have so many feelings about the mirror too. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about radical self-love, and also I'm interested in your journey as well. So take it away. Mm -hmm. So I think so many of us can relate, right? We, we look in the mirror in the morning and we're basically just looking for all the different ways we can see flaws in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Looking at our skin, we're looking at how puffy our eyes are after sleeping, we're looking at how our hair is, looking at how flat our stomach is. We're really just judging ourselves and we're, we're so harsh, we're so critical. And the thing about, you know, our brain is we basically, whatever we're focusing on is that's what we see more of. And so in the morning when we're looking at ourselves throughout the day, basically we create this reality for ourselves where we see the things that we don't like about ourselves simply because we've been fixating on them, right? And then that dictates how we often feel about ourselves. So for myself, you know, I used to look in the mirror in the morning and that would kind of determine how I would feel about myself that entire day. And it's exhausting. And because, you know, the only constant in life is change, only constant in life is change. And right. And then how we 
you know, how we see ourselves is always changing our self-worth if we're basing it on how we look, you know, how we look in the mirror. It's just this big roller coaster ride where we never really feel good about ourselves. It really is a, a roller coaster ride. And I know when you initially contacted me, you talked about my podcast, which was the Relentless Critical Voice. Mm-hmm. And in, in my journey, I, I started keeping journals when I was really young because I didn't have anybody to talk to. And it was so interesting because everything you're saying, um, again, I relate to because when I went back and read my journals, it was, I, I just, it was so painful how mean and just how it really does dictate our day. And I find that um, it also changes. You know, I, I always like to think of things as like waves, you know, how, how it, like what you said about there's always that constant of change, which I really like. And, um, and how we see ourselves one minute changes. And because that mirror really is not a true reflection. It's really about our insides. And so, so much of what you say, I think so many women can relate to, and I think it's such a great message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important to know that, you know, when we're most dissatisfied with our body, that's usually in the times of the highest amount of stress. Mm-hmm. So we look at our body and we look at ourselves, and we try to pick ourselves apart and look at our body thinking that that is the problem. Mm-hmm. Your body is never the problem, right? What we often think is a body problem is actually a life problem. We look to our body thinking that if we just would fix this, then the other areas of my life would come together. But it's a part of being human, having ups and downs and being sad and having negative emotions. You know, in the society, we're so built off of this positive vibes only, be happy all the time. And that's not real. It's not real. We can't be happy all the time. We need to have the clouds to appreciate the sun. And so, you know, when we're looking in the mirror and we're noticing that we're feeling dissatisfied with ourselves, you know, ask yourself, what is this really telling me about, you know, maybe other areas of my life that I'm blaming my body when it's not really my body that's the problem here? You are spot on. And, um, and, and again, it's such a, a wonderful message. I like to, to tell my patients that your thoughts and feelings are always changing. That how you feel one minute, you, you may think like you're feeling sad or anxious, but even the intensity of it really changes. So as you're feeling one way, there, there is sort of that ebb and flow that, um, that I think is really important to recognize. Mm-hmm. In, your, in that particular episode, you talk about that moment where you look in the mirror and you have a ship. Can you share a little bit more about that? So you're li- like, when I look in the mirror and have a shift, sorry, could you just clarify? Well, you talked about kind of like deciding at that moment that you were going to do things differently for yourself or, or see things differently or make some changes in, in how you were feeling about yourself and, and, and how you were using that critical voice. Yeah, absolutely. So Basically, I had this moment where I realized, you know, who is kind of profiting off of this, right? Who is kind of gaining from me tearing myself down? And so radical self-love really has to do with rejecting an oppressive culture that has deemed us unworthy and in need of fixing. A culture and system that has basically ranked our value to the world based on the color of our skin, our gender, our body type. And so, you know, this whole idea of radical self-love, it's radical because it basically requires us to reject this idea that some of us are more important than others. 
an idea that we're currently all prescribed to, and especially if you were socialized as a woman, one that you were taught from a very young age, that your value to the world is basically the skin that you're in, your body type. And so when we reject that, you know, it allows us to really step back into our power. And so I had this moment of, you know, this realization where if I was to stop the comparison and the ranking and just you know, eradicate this idea of a sliding scale of worth dependent on my external reality. You know, what could be possible for me? Because it is absolutely a trade-off, right? We get limited resources of time and energy. And if I'm spending all of that trying to shrink myself and tear myself down, that means I'm not spending it on reaching my potential, asking for the promotion, being present with my family, just fully showing up in my life. And so, you know, when you look in the mirror and you're trying to, you know, tearing yourself down, who profits off that? The diet industry profits off that, not you, right? And with that as well, you know, our thoughts aren't always true. No, distortion so many times. And and you talk about kind of what we get programmed at an early age to start to think about. Yeah, exactly. And so often the thoughts that we think are true are not actually true. It's the thoughts we thought the most times. And we've been kind of told to think these different thoughts because of the society that we live in, right? We basically sold this idea that we have these problems and then we're sold the solutions to them. So products, services, everything. That's entirely basically what the marketing system is today, selling this idea. And, you know, being able to kind of interrogate and question these thoughts, like, is this mine? Or also furthermore, is this serving me? Because when we try to shame ourselves and berate ourselves, that doesn't actually lead to positive action, right? Shame actually triggers the same part of our brain as if we're in physical pain. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, in physical- and, I, and I really appreciated when you when you brought that up because so often I think we don't always we're not aware of of how, of our we're so disconnected from our bodies that we don't realize the language our bodies have a separate language and they tell us things that our brain doesn't really connect to. And how do you put that mind-body connection together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, whatever we say basically kind of creates a bit of a blueprint, right? So if I'm telling myself that I am horrible and I'm disgusting and I'm worthless and all those things, that is essentially the reality I'm creating for myself, feeling all those things. I've primed my brain to seek out more of those examples in my environments. Like me telling you to look for yellow cars, you see more yellow cars, not because there's more, but because you told your brain to look for it, right? And then what happens, our brain, because we basically put ourselves into this state of pain, wants to find a way to self-soothe. So it's going to go to the food and the curling up on the couch and the scrolling on social media to try to make itself feel a bit better. So, you know, what I always say to the clients is negative self-talk produces negative action and positive self-talk produces positive action. Right. Right. And, and it sounds like you have done such an amazing job of finding your power, but I'm curious as to how did, how did your eating disorder even start? What, what triggered it before you, you became so aware of this wealth of, of information and your, and finding your own power within yourself? Mm-hmm. So it kicked off my first, my struggles with bulimia when I was about 12 years old. Um, at this time, my parents had just split up. My dad, um, I had multiple affairs at this point. It was very difficult at home. Um, I was also someone who struggled immensely with depression and anxiety. And it was funny growing up, you know, my parents had different books where it's like how to parent your spirited child, because mm-hmm. I had a lot of emotion, a lot of anger, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know where to put it all. And I would get in trouble for having these kind of big emotions. And so I learned to try to kind of 
squash them down, put them away using food, right? And something like bulimia really just became this very misguided attempt to suppress my emotion, but also allow it to kind of all expel at the same time as it were. And this kind of like fury eruption of emotion that has basically been trying to suppress. And so I struggled with bulimia on and off for about 10 years, but you know, during that time, I was really convinced that happiness lay in a smaller body size. And that was perpetuated, you know, with everything around me, you know, there'd be media or magazines or everything. And, you know, at the same time, because I was struggling with, you know, anxiety and depression, all these things, again, this idea, this kind of future vision of me being skinny and happy just seemed that much more important and that much more real. And so, yeah. <laughs> Now, you have a story that so many people can relate to. I, I can relate to that, given my history also of, of my parents having a lot of marital issues, going through divorce, but also feeling like I didn't have anybody to talk to, and almost like I was going crazy with my thoughts, that somehow I, I didn't um, believe that, that they were mine. I didn't have a place to go with them, which is why I started journaling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was so, um, so difficult to, to be so sensitive to things and yet not have any idea how to cope. So, so similar, I thought, well, if I lose weight, I will be more confident. I'll be more popular. I'll be able to talk to people easier. And, and I don't know if this was your situation, but I know people would never have guessed I had issues because I could pull it off so well. And I don't know if that was something also kind of that exterior appearance, almost that false self, which we put out to the world, again, feeling like we're not entitled to our feelings. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that's something that, that you relate to as well. Oh, you're, you're so bang on. I would try to make my exterior as perfect as I could to hide all the pain inside of me. And every single morning I get up so early mm -hmm. and paint on beautiful makeup and do my hair perfectly and try to look perfect because I was so unhappy and so broken inside. And I thought the key to connection was perfection. Mm -hmm. And it's only, you know, as I've kind of gone on my recovery journey that I've realized that we connect with imperfect, mm -hmm. connect with seeing ourselves, our flaws and other people and being raw and vulnerable and open. And the more I tried to be perfect, the more disconnected I was which made me think, you know, like, oh, I just need to be more perfect. And then people mm -hmm. like me just need to lose a little bit more weight, which you never get to a point, you know, yeah. you know, later into my journey where I ended up going on a 12 week weight loss guaranteed program from an Instagram influencer. And I lost a ton of weight super quickly. And I actually struggled with them. Anorexia, I'd lost my period right. and anorea, my hair was falling out, but I was being posted all over her social media with before and after photos being like, look at Victoria, look how amazing she's doing and getting all this superficial attention, this kind of false feeling of connection that I'd been just so desperate for my entire life. And there I was, you know, in this body that I always dreamed of, getting the attention that I always wanted. And I never felt so empty or so disconnected in my entire life. And it was really just such an identity shattering moment where everything I'd kind of been aspiring towards since I was like five years old, this idea I would get this body, things would be great. There I was, and it was nothing like what I was anticipated. And it was, it was so tough. I really had to mourn this idea that, you know, life was about trying to shrink myself and then I would be happy. Well, it almost sounds like a perfect storm. 
And you were getting positive feedback for something that felt so horrible. And yet it's very confusing and a lot of mixed messages and almost crazy making in some ways, I think. So what was your turning point? So I was deep in the throes of struggling with anorexia, restricting during the day immensely and working out a lot. And one morning I'd woken up about 3 a.m., 2 a.m., and I had just gone to sleep like an hour or two earlier. I was not sleeping much. I was so anxious and because I wasn't eating, no surprise. But at the time I thought it was like a, you know, a personality flaw, a willpower thing, which it's never that. Um, it's always your body. It's like, like, it's almost like, just like suck it up and just like get through it. Right. Which, yeah. Be so yeah. Awesome. yeah. So many harsh words that were coming mm-hmm. in my brain. And so I was not really sleeping. I woke up stumbled into my kitchen, still kind of half asleep and grabbed an extra, like grabbed a handful of trail mix. I only had coffee in my apartment and trail mix. That's all I allowed myself to have. And so I had just eating this trail mix. I was eating, eating it. And then I kind of realized what I was doing. And I was like, oh my God, like, what am I doing right now? And how to complete, it's, it's funny looking back on it now in the sense that I don't even recognize that version of myself. Like you literally become a different version of you when you're struggling with an eating disorder. And so I remember just collapsing to the floor and just sobbing, being like, what am I going to do? I can't go back to sleep having eaten all these calories. I'm so tired. I was just, you know, just falling apart at the seams at this point and basically knowing like, okay, yeah, I can't go back to sleep. So I crawled to the closet and put on my running gear and put on my running hat and basically started running through the streets of Montreal at 3 a.m. Wow. Wow. Yeah decided it would be, you know, 30 kilometers. I pulled out wow. my head like that's an adequate punishment basically for, you know, some trail mix and started running. And, you know, if anyone knows Montreal, like running up Mount Royal there and it was still dark out. And I still remember like the headlights, of the car wow. you know, lighting up my face as I was crying and just wanting nothing more than to go back to sleep. But my brain, those the thoughts in my mind would not let me rest. They, well, your body's so activated, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, I was in the biggest fight or flight mode. You know, I was like very much in that sympathetic um, nervous system. Like my body felt like it was under attack as it were, because I was so afraid of those calories and the weight change and what that meant about me and all the different things. Right. And so ended up you know, running to the top of this mountain. It was about 6am at this point when I was about 30 kilometers and the sun was rising over the city. And I remember just standing there and having this moment, like there's never going to be enough weight loss where I'm going to be happy. You know, I've been striving for this. I've been pushing myself and I knew I couldn't keep doing it. Like I knew every part of me was shutting down. And I also knew that I couldn't do it alone. You know, Mm -hmm. I spent my entire life trying to be this strong, independent woman who doesn't need anyone and not realizing that it's a strong woman who asks for help and says, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm struggling right now. I need some support. And so having that moment and you know, having that realization basically led me to running down the hill and calling eating disorder hotline and in Montreal. And I talked to them for like hours and hours and just spilled oh, wow. everything about depression and anxiety and eating disorders and bulimia, like everything. And it was just flowing out of me. And it was the first time in my life. I kind of just let someone, a perfect stranger, just see me for who I was. And it was vulnerable and raw. And again, very scary, 
but it was so necessary for me to let those walls down and to just open up because eating disorders thrive in the secrecy and the shame. And when we talk about it and we, we shed light on them, that's when we start to heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel chills just listening to your story. It sounds incredibly painful and you really hit your bottom. It sounds like uh, in so many ways and thank goodness there was help and that you were resourceful and also let yourself be vulnerable enough to reach out. Did you, um, did you seek therapy? I know you talked on your, um, on your, your Instagram, your story about hitting the books, but did you also seek therapy as well? Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a bit of a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started going to therapy, but I quickly realized that food had always been my way to suppress emotion, my way to kind of avoid how I was feeling. And so when I was talking about it, basically kind of bringing up all this stuff about my life and trauma and all this stuff, it felt like I was just carrying this big, scary ball of emotion and I didn't know what to deal with, how to deal with it. And so I talk about it almost like, going through emotional surgery without having food as an anesthetic. Mm -hmm. And so it was very raw, very scary. And so I actually found myself starting to get worse for a little while. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously everyone's recovery journey is totally different. And this is just my personal experience, but I had to basically anchor in the therapy, the talking to someone, having that safe space with the science, with the education. And so what I ended up doing was really taking this responsibility, this ownership of being, okay, I, I realize I can't just go and talk a couple of times a week about what I'm doing on my lunch hour from work. You know, mm-hmm. like I need to really do this work. So I ordered the books. I, you know, listened to the audiobooks or the podcasts. I read the books. I read the, you know, the scientific journals, I basically read as much information as I possibly could about anorexia, amenorrhea, bulimia, binge eating, exercise addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, anxiety, depression, like every single thing that had kind of been presented in my life to basically come to this realization that I was not broken, right? I, this whole time I thought, which is so huge, right? Huge. It's huge. And you, it sounds like you were so motivated to want to get better and you were almost like a student of yourself. Yeah. So you, you took therapy, which, you know, you're right. It just in the office, it's, it's that time, but then it's also what you do with it outside the office as well and how you try to integrate it. And everybody has their, their own way and different ways of doing it that, that work for them. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious then, this did this lead to your um your science-based intuitive eating approach is this part of how you know i'm interested in hearing a little bit more about that too yeah yeah so it was funny i remember when someone had first told me the term intuitive eating when i was in the throes of struggling with my eating what is that right i was like what the heck is that i was like first of all i was like what is it and i look it up and i was like that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life if i'm allowed to eat anything i want i'm gonna eat nothing but donuts all day long like i laughed at the idea and then just yeah Yeah. and put it onto like a back shelf in my brain Mm -hmm. until i started my recovery journey not realizing you know in hindsight that that feeling about a control around food was just a result of restriction, right? Again, this idea like there was nothing wrong with me, it's just a matter of understanding what my body's doing, how my brain's working. If I felt unsafe or safe in my body, basically all my behaviors would be a reflection of that. And so 
you know, I was doing all this kind of research, studying, and just compiling massive amounts of information. And my apartment probably looked like a crazy person there because I had just papers everywhere and like notes and stickers. You were on a mission. I was on a mission to save my own life. Yes. And I was determined and hell bent. And so, yeah, basically, I started kind of putting together this program for myself, putting together little tools, you know, how to process emotions, how to basically regulate my nervous system so I felt less fight or flight all the time. All these little teeny tiny things that I was just noting down, documenting, and basically started to just talk about it on social media. Mm -hmm. Kind of sharing my journey um, just because I was really leaning into the vulnerability and being open and honest because I realized the more I did that, the better I got. Um, And so people started to message me being like, hey, love what you're doing. I love the tools you're sharing, information. Um, Do you actually, you know, do you offer this in some kind of capacity? And at this point I was like, no, but you know, if you're That's open, an idea. <laughs> it's an idea. It's definitely a thought there. Um, and so I wasn't working with anyone who was, you know, struggling with an eating disorder because that's, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that, but basically people who are struggling with, you know, extreme dieting, mm-hmm. feeling, you know, all the guilt and the food rules and all that. And so basically I had people go through my program for free that I'd basically created to save my own life. Um, I had them go through as beta clients just to test out. I was like, did this just work for me or is this something I can kind of replicate? And so my clients, everyone I work with, even to this day is people who is very kind of rational, logical, likes mm-hmm. having the tools, likes kind of the practical approach to things because I think when it comes to intuitive eating, it can feel like such a leap of going from rules and, you know, restriction right, to like right, right. freedom and abundance. It's like, ah, like you can almost. You draw, I know I'm one, some of them, you draw that arc, um, yeah. sort of that, that arc from one to the, because it's about that disconnection. Like mm-hmm. how do you intuitively eat when you don't even know what hunger and fullness even are? Like what is, you totally lose touch with all of that. Yeah. Um, so what can you give us like a few of your tips um, that you offer your listeners to to my listeners um, that might be helpful? Yeah, so one of the first things that I always love to do with clients because intuitive eating is all about learning to trust yourself again, right? We were born intuitive eaters, but along the way, you know, especially even the world that we live in, especially if you're a socialized woman, we are taught to distrust ourselves, to look outside of ourselves, to be told what to do, what to eat, how to live instead of looking inward. And so a lot of that learning to intuitively eat is learning to connect back to ourselves and learning to trust what our body's actually telling us. And so what I like to do is basically, you know, I'm very practical with my tools. So have our phone, right? Go to the notes app on our phone and label it, calling it trust and wins. Mm-hmm. So basically every time you have a small win and this can be anything, you know, you notice some hunger cues and normally you intermittent fast, but now you're really trying to heal that and eat intuitively. So you're going to have breakfast at, you know, in the morning before you normally do that, write that down, right? Document these little teeny tiny wins because our brain is primed to remember the mm-hmm. negative, mm-hmm. right? We want to remember according to, you know, our brain is very kind of primitive in the sense. It wants to remember that the red berries are going to kill us, not that the yellow berries are delicious, right? So right. our brain is always seeking the negative things, which means we're going to, by default, remember the times that we didn't trust ourselves, the times that we did feel out of control around food, not the inverse, not the times that we showed up for ourselves. So we really want to create this like intention of priming our brain to seek out all the moments that we trust ourselves, And then by writing them down, we're basically telling that part of our brain, their reticular activating system, basically because we have so much incoming information all the time, stimuli, our brain has to determine what's important and relevant information. So by basically documenting it down and focusing on it, you're telling your brain like, Hey, this is important. 
pay attention to it, which means similar to what I was saying before about the kind of looking for yellow cars, you know, we're going to see more of those examples in our environment where we're trusting ourselves, where we're yeah. showing up for ourselves. Right. And it, you know, like I say, like, trust yourself, don't trust the mirror, like get in touch with that. You know, it's there's the intuitive eating, but also our own intuitive sense and our own intuitive selves in, in a way and, and trying to, to reconnect with that. Mm-hmm. And giving that the attention, right? Like it's, we want to, I think about it when I talk with the clients, I kind of think about it like the Pixar light, you know, that hops across mm-hmm. and like jumps on the eye. And I think about that kind of like, that's like the reticular activating system in your brain. It's like, wherever you're shining that light, whatever you're focusing on, that's what you're going to see. If you're not shining your light on those moments, those little wins where you're showing up for yourself, you're not going to see them. It's going to be in the yeah. dark. No. If you're focusing on all the moments where you messed up and you think you're terrible and all the things that are going wrong, then that's where your light is shining. That's only things that you're going to see. So being so intentional, where am I shining this light? Where would I like to shine this light? Because what would I like to see more of in my life? And I think we all have a light and we all have a light and, and we have to be able to uncover it and discover it and, um, and be able to find our power to bring it out into the world. Before we close, one final question, which is about the name of your podcast. And if you could just just share a, a bit about how you got that name and, and, and let people know about that. Mm-hmm. So the name of my podcast is called Weighing In on Happy. And basically the whole kind of theme of the podcast is we weigh in on all the things that make us happy that don't include weight. But not the scale, not numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing to do with, because weight is just gravitational pull in the earth that has nothing to do with anything, right? And yet we make it mean so much about ourselves. And I know for, you know, for me, if the scale went up in the morning, like I wasn't making eye contact with people during the day. Like I was so just looking down and unconfident and everything. And my whole world used to revolve around my weight. And so on the podcast, basically we weigh in on all the things that make us happy, not including weight. So we talk about whether it be feminism or intuitive eating or, you know, body image, or even I had a woman on last week talking all about finance and empowering women with their finances because there's such a relation between food scarcity and money scarcity. So really this kind of holistic picture of how to be happy and really show up in your life and feel empowered uh, when we're no longer using weight as a measure of that. Right. I'd like to say, don't weigh your self-esteem. Yeah. Oh, I like that. You like that? Mm-hmm. And I, I love talking to you and I feel like we could have a conversation for hours. <laughs> There's so many things and so many areas that, uh, that we could share uh, with, with the listeners out there and, um, and so many important messages. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming in and um, sharing your, your views and, and your thoughts and, um, and your journey and your story, which I think is, is unbelievable. And um, it took a lot of courage for you to be that vulnerable and put yourself out there. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you. This is Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Thank you for listening to my podcast, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder. And remember, trust yourself. Don't trust the mirror. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Don't Trust the Mirror, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder with psychoanalyst Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. We hope you enjoyed it. 
please visit DontTrustTheMirror.com where you'll find all our social networking links and can post your stories, comments, and questions. Until next time, remember, trust yourself. Don't trust the mirror.